Welcome. Welcome, lovely listeners, to another episode of the Soccer Capital Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Turner, and joining me in our studios in Southern Illinois is a man who did not set fire to the tree outside Zion Bank Stadium for the Real Monarchs 2, and that's our producer, Mason. And joining us somewhere in West St. Louis County is a man who did not venture offsides to negate a late game-tying goal for the LA Galaxy. It's Sean Campbell. How are you guys doing today? Look, you can't prove I was there. You don't know it was me. You can't prove it was me, and this will be upheld in a court of law. I didn't say you were there. Mason, I believe the term you're looking for is allegedly. (laughs) Allegedly. Allegedly, I did not set fire to the tree. (laughs) (laughs) That tree. Let's be specific here. Well, we got a big, 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 big show for you this week. We got uh, St. Louis City 2 traveling out to uh, the shadow of the mountains in Utah this past week. Also got some update on the St. Louis City Academy some news uh, or some comments about, about the uh, the main club itself. Big news is, of course, CONCACAF Champions League. It's coming back to Lumen Field in Seattle for a one-off game. And the biggest game, uh, perhaps, in the history of MLS against Liga Emekis. Hopefully, uh, everybody's looking at a win, and that includes prognosticators in Mexico, which makes us all very very nervous and we'll also round up some of the action in MLS as well so there's no better time to get to it than right now and we'll start talking about our MLX next pro team St. Louis City 2 did travel out to Utah take on Real Monarchs of uh, Real Salt Lake's uh, what do you call it franchise yeah uh system uh first half really about the only highlights were one the aforementioned tree that caught on fire just outside of the north side of the stadium. There's a tree, just a tree, sitting there all by itself, smoking and caught on flames. And they had to call out the fire department and the whatnot. And the whatnot's important to mind here. Also, in the first half, shout outs for various St. Louis City fans and friends of ours who uh, sent in tweets to uh, the rather unique and interesting uh, commentators on the live stream of the game. They were fascinating, especially the one guy that said that uh, the sun sets in the north. That was fun. Yeah, do it like a Futurama bit. <laughs> it really was. The whole game, the whole atmosphere, the uh, the most boring thing of the first half and the least interesting was the game itself. Yeah, because also like the way that it was shot with like um like the sun setting on the field, like golden hour, like it looked beautiful. It was like a real like field of dreams moment, but also you couldn't actually see the game. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, both teams uh, really played hard, hard to get the ball out of midfield. There wasn't a lot of clinical action in the attacking third, a lot of uh, final balls being missed. Uh, So nil-nil at halftime. St. Louis City kind of got themselves together, looked a little tighter, put a lot of pressure on Real Monarchs. And eventually, with 10 minutes to go, Got a really nice shot from, who was that? Celio Pompeo. Uh, in the 77th minute, he hit the corner. He hit the both the uh, crossbar and the post. Uh, happened to bounce back. Juan Kazan gets it, passes it out. Josh Dolan with a nice finish. And we got the lead that we needed. And by this point, the tree fire had been done. And about that time, the live stream, immediately after the goal, gone. Yeah, in, well, re- in retaliation, the live stream feed cut out. <laughs> yeah, rumor is that uh, Doling got his uh, brace in the game in the 89th minute. Uh, see, after a free kick, he was able to bang it home from uh, the ball being free in the mixer, as they say. So yeah. big road win uh, for this. Uh, interesting, RSL had some injuries. A lot of their players were in this game. Uh, plucked out for the big league team. Uh, interesting, even at elevation, uh, the RSL players seem, or the Rail Monarch players seem to tire at the end of the game. Uh, City 2 players still seem to have a lot of go with them on that. Says something about uh, what John Hackworth does with his fitness, which is going to be so, so important for the style of uh, football that they want to play. Also, 
having lived in Tucson, Arizona for 25 years, the view of the mountains with the sunset behind them really had me uh, missing mountain views. I miss that. But uh, uh, yeah, an absolute scorcher of a goal for Doling's first. Um, nasty karate kick, uh, uh, top corner. And then, yeah, uh, because the feed never came back, but um, someone from the club took a, was taking video and uploaded uh, his second, which was, yeah, a ball in the mixer. He missed the header. Um, somebody recovered it. Unfortunately, I don't know who passed it to him and he banged it home. Yeah, that was that was something that would have been good to see. <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing, the announcers for Rail Monarchs were kind enough to keep giving us updates of what was going on during the game since the feed dropped. <laughs> they really were kind of fascinating, to be quite honest. Uh, the win keeps uh, City 2 in the playoff race in the Western Conference of MLS Next Pro. They're sitting on 12 points right now with a goal difference of plus 2 on that. Uh, North Texas and Houston, the Texas teams, are uh, leading the division. And coming up this Saturday, a uh, team tied on points is, uh, what did uh, St. Luligan's, uh, somebody with them say, uh, Vancouver, <laughs> Whitecaps 2 FC, or whatever they're called, uh, are also on 12 points as well. So we've got a, play, a pre-playoff matchup, perhaps, coming up this Saturday, Herman Stadium on the campus of SLU. And to let everybody know... I'm feeling much better, and we are making plans, at least producer Mason and I, to be at that game and the pregame tailgate, so we hope to see you all there, yeah. uh, provided uh, everything goes as planned. Yeah, two-thirds of us are planning to be at this game, one-third of us were at the other game, so between the two games, the entire podcast will have made a showing at a City 2 game. <laughs> yeah, we. I had tickets, we had tickets for the... Uh, First game of the year, but I was in the hospital, and it's really hard to get uh, from there to the match. Uh, we probably could have broken you out. <laughs> hey, it just takes some dedication, that's it. I wouldn't have been able to make it. <laughs> I was pretty sick. Uh, but, uh, yeah, hope to see you all there. Uh, this will be one of the final two games at Herman Stadium. Uh, after that, uh, play will pretty much switch over to SIU Edwardsville for the rest of the season, and uh, if there is the unannounced uh, game at Centene Stadium, which we're all hoping for, but uh, can't confirm as of yet. So that should be exciting. We're looking forward to that. City is one of the better teams in MLS Next Pro, and they haven't even got all of the uh, Bundesliga regulars and uh, the other professionals coming in in July yet. Yeah, and this is actually kind of surprising, this run of form we've had, because we're going up against teams that have been playing in USL Championship for a long time uh, against, you know, MLS franchises that have had long term, you know, academies rolling, had their had their two programs rolling for a long time in USL Championship or in other competitions. And we are kind of a bunch of upstarts. Yeah. That's a good way of looking at it. Uh, what two players? Yeah, Josh Yarrow. Uh, Josh Juan Yarrow Cousin has who? the most experience, I think. Juan Cousin has played a couple of games for Sporting KC proper. Played and, most of his games for uh, KC too. And just a handful, if that many, that have had more than one season in USL as well. So it's really good. It's good for the future uh, of the big team as well to see all these players out there and playing well. And uh, hope they can keep it up. Uh, they do have some work to do on the offensive end. But, of course, they're young. Got a lot of work to put in. And hopefully won't have to face too many teams like Minnesota that had a lot of uh, MLS contracted players on the field. Including MLS vet Chase Gasper trying to work his ba way back from a stint in rehab. How did the academy do this weekend, Mason? So... We'll start off with the U16s. They play two games over the weekend, two road games, or well over the last week, I should say. And they had a split. Uh, they lost 4-1 to Soccer's FC, and then they won 3-1 uh, against FC United Soccer Club. So uh, a decent road trip for the U16s. And then the U-17s got a draw against the Minnesota United FC U-17s. 
um, away. So pretty decent showing for the Academy this week. What's next? What's coming up on the weekend? Uh, so on May the 7th, the U-17s are heading to Chicago to play Fire 2 at um, at the old <laughs> soccer-specific stadium <laughs> that uh, Fire 2 have moved into after the Chicago Fire gave up and went back to and Soldier Field. <laughs> in Bridgeport. And it's not City 2. It'd be the Chicago Fire, Fire. Academy. Yeah. yeah. Just to keep things on the up and up. Because there's so many MLS Next and so many MLS Next Pro that uh, it's really hard to keep them straight. I try my best, but yeah, you really can't keep them straight. (laughs) So exciting week for the kids uh, and uh, exciting weekend coming up for the kids as well. And we'll keep our eyes on all that, especially uh, City 2 this Saturday night. Talking about the big league club, St. Louis City SC. on the app this week, uh, had a little talk, a uh, little interview with, uh, well, not his real title, but head groundskeeper Josh McPherson was on talking about how the pitch is going to be built out. Me being a sort of a landscaping nerd, I took notes of a lot of this. And uh, why it's important is the pitch is like, you know, referees. Nobody pays any attention until some, everything goes horribly bad. So... Uh, having a good pitch, especially with the style of play that the team wants to do, uh, it needs to conform to their style of play. If you're going to play fast and furious, you don't want the ball, you don't want the grass long and the pitch be slow. Uh, though uh, Josh McPherson did go on to say that the uh, most important part of the pitch is uh, the drainage. His uh, team, his crew, has tested 10 different soil blend or sand blends to see which does the most drainage, says what they came up with can hold up to 22 inches of water per hour, which, of course, hopefully it doesn't rain that much, and if it does, I don't want to be in the stadium. But the water running out of the stands is, there was famously a few years back, uh, some rather alarming uh, video of how much water was running down at uh, for uh, SKC at a home game down on the pitch. That could... Uh, 22 inches per hour with all of it catching and rolling down could be something that happens. And also, I don't know how it's been up in St. Louis, but down here in southern Illinois, a few hours south, the amount of rain that we've gotten since MLS has started play, I don't know if 22 inches is too much. (laughs) Well, it'll drain it away per hour, so hopefully. Now, in the meantime, it's also important that if you have that amount of drainage, that the sand isn't so soft that the sod comes up every time somebody makes a slide tackle or scores a goal and tries to do a knee slide and then catch in the turf and do a face plant, which actually would be quite funny. <laughs> uh, you may want to work that into a bit of the field. Hey, players, don't do a knee slide here. We'll see if we can catch the opposing team. There's a great idea for the pit. <laughs> Let's uh, start just like like digging like punji traps yes. <laughs> in the pitch. Yeah. <laughs> Are we recreating an episode of King of the Hill out here, you know, where you purposely make the field terrible so that the other team does bad? Well, I don't know. Are we mean. going full CONCACAF now? Is uh, that what we're trying no, to do here? <laughs> Boom hour agrees. <laughs> it's more like we're doing like jungle warfare. <laughs> it'd be fun. <laughs> don't kid yourselves. It's funny, but it'd be fun. Just only has to happen once. <laughs> once. Uh, yeah. You know what would really stick it to him? Bury a, bury a Claymore under there. <laughs> yeah, that gets a little dangerous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Legally, I must say, do not do that. <laughs> yeah. Accidentally end up with that scene from uh, the second Kingsman movie where, you know, the uh, Merlin steps on the landmine, he starts singing Country Road, and then the rest of the crowd sings with him, and then all of a sudden the opposing player just disappears. You know, they're going to have heaters under there, probably some uh, irrigation under the field buried. Uh, why not put the animatronic gopher from Caddyshack under there? <laughs> and, and then have it on a button so you can pop it up in the in the box whenever somebody's on a breakaway and they just fall down. And the gopher goes back under. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that might bring a new connotation to to us calling it the pit, <laughs> and I don't think we want that one. Oh man, we're about to start MLSS Major League Slapstick Soccer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, back to what we were talking. Uh, currently, the sod 
itself, the grass, is being grown in North Carolina at a Carolina Greens Corporation. Interesting. Uh, it'll be hauled to St. Louis in refrigerated semi-trucks. It will take 30 semis to haul the pitch for Centene Stadium and another 20 to haul all that grass in for the training pitch. Uh, let's not talk about the cost and fuel and emissions on this. Let's just know that the pitch will be nice and green. Locally sourced from about 30 miles uh, outside of St. Louis, the sand and stone that will lay the basis for the pitch will be coming from the Missouri River. And all this is done, the aim is to make, a, as we mentioned earlier, a fast and firm surface because that fits the style of Lutz and uh, Bradley Cornell. And uh, I also found fascinating that uh, with the overhang, there's parts of the pitch that won't get any sun at any time. And they got something to come up with that. They're going to have a grid of grow lights they can put over the field and then dictate exactly which of those grow lights light up for what parts of the pitch need, you know, sunshine, UV radiation. They also have special tarps to keep the Bermuda grass from turning brown in freezing temperatures, which will be important for those early season and perhaps late season matches. Keep it looking nice for television. And, you know, that's what matters. <laughs> well, I mean, we're joking about it, but I remember watching the um, the the City 2 game against uh, Sporting KC 2, and that pitch looked horrible. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, and if it turns brown, it, you know, sometimes it doesn't necessarily have the structural integrity, and that really can affect the game. Uh, you watch anything in CONCACAF Champions League or CONCACAF World Cup qualifying, the states of some of the pitches in Central America and, say, Jamaica are, or the Caribbean are just terrible. It's like playing in a cow pasture. It's really hard to get your passes down. You can't play quickly. You have to adapt to the surface rather than just adapting to your opponent. And if it's bad enough, you're adapting to the surface as your opponent. So uh, it's not that interesting, but I found it interesting. And uh, good talking points for... Uh, say the tailgate this saturday <laughs> yeah well, to be completely honest though if we're if we're talking about just you know unkept grass or it's a dead it's a dead pitch i'd rather play on that because it's still grass versus playing on fake turf that plastic is just yeah it's a completely different beast and it's much harder on the joints it makes no no player you can ask any player in the league right now they do not like playing on turf but they will play on it if they have to yeah, and then, uh, this was a big issue for the U.S. women's team. No, it was for that World Cup. Mm -hmm. uh, not just the women, U.S. women, all, all, all the women. Them, yeah. Uh, also, you know, Providence Park, where the Portland Timbers play, and the Thorns, uh, is generally regarded to have perhaps the best artificial surface, perhaps in the world. It's still a plastic pitch. Mm -hmm. It's still not as true as just grass is. So, understand it. I don't know what the groundskeeper probably couldn't hire a groundskeeper to try to keep up with the pitch in the rain there, but somebody's got to do it. 22 inches of drainage should happen. Uh, going to take a lot of work, and they guess they just didn't want to do the expenditure. And once you put in those plastic pitches, you're, you made the investment. You're going to run with them till they run out until you start thinking about replacing them unless there's a real problem with the pitch, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And that is a soccer-specific stadium, even though it was originally a baseball stadium. Uh, one of the few soccer-specifics that actually don't have grass. Maybe the only one. So that's enough about, you know, grass. <laughs> Except there's a new piece of grass in MLS, and that's Geodes Stadium in Nashville. It opened this week uh, and famously announced that it's the largest soccer-specific stadium in MLS. Uh, seating 30,000. And it's kind of raised the question of, did St. Louis City SC make a mistake in what's coming up in just planning for just 22,500 in the stadium, only expandable up to 25,000? Are larger stadiums in the future for American soccer and in MLS? Uh, Nashville, in all their infinite wisdom down there, the Nashville fans, of course, because they have a larger stadium, they're blasting those with smaller ones for uh, 
constricting the size, therefore can milk the fans for more money. I yeah, <laughs> it's, it's also, easy for them to say. Yeah, it's also really easy for them to say because you have the biggest one. Also, Carolina has a football stadium that famously broke all the records. They have very high seating prices. I don't think one goes with the other. Mm-mm. No, seating prices are set, like, they're not set according to supply and demand, really. They're set kind of arbitrarily. Well, a little bit on supply and demand, you would think. Except that doesn't go for U.S. soccer and the way that they charge exorbitant prices to play, you know, friendlies and qualifying matches in huge stadiums that are half full because they make more money by charging more on a half full stadium. Yeah, like, I mean, like... goes against (laughs) what they should be doing. The thing is that, like, you know, for a lot of us, we start, we stop learning about economics in high school. And the last thing that we are taught is that supply and demand dictate the, the economy. Just isn't really true. <laughs> it's just not. <laughs> Everything is priced arbitrarily, and soccer seats, sports seats are no different. You know, just go to your local restaurant, especially a chain restaurant. Look at the prices on the menu. You, they, they all have a certain price point tier. So it has no dependency upon what the actual products are in the you know recipe for the, the dish. It just hits that price point. I, I think we've bored them enough with the economics talk here. <laughs> um, so I, I'd like to bring it back and, and actually do some... I have the list of MLS stadiums up and have been looking at it for a while today. Uh, specifically on sizing, uh, Geodas Park has the same amount of seats as BMO Field in Toronto. So technically it's not the biggest. It's tied for the biggest soccer-specific. But in the U.S., the main point here is when you look at the other arenas around MLS that are spot soccer specific with our expandable up to 25,000, that puts us on level with Red Bull arena, first of all. Yeah. And if we have just the 22, five, just among soccer specific, that puts us just below Red Bull arena with only five or six stadiums ahead of us as far as size. So we're really not that far down on size. No, we're really not. And I mean, even with the addition of Geodas Park, league average seating for soccer-specific stadiums in MLS is 26,021. So expandable up to 25,000, that puts us right a shade below league average. Yeah, and I agree. It's better to fill the stadium, especially in, say, April, and especially in, say, October. Uh when the kids aren't in school and the crowds are thinner, you always want to have a a good experience as opposed to, say, somewhere like Dallas where you got like 7,000 all scattered throughout the stadium. Yeah. And also, even with 22,500, that has more seating than Enterprise Center for Blues games. Yeah. And also, Nashville's got theirs next to a racetrack, so parking is not a concern. Uh as uh, Pablo Mara of uh, The Athletic uh, pointed out, him being a car buff, he actually got to park on a racetrack to go to the game. Uh, if you play, put a stadium at downtown, parking becomes a real concern mm-hmm. on yeah. that. So you've got to find a way to, to accommodate parking as well yeah. with, with the size of your stadium. And that's something I think that uh, some of these fans from Nashville might be missing. Yeah, and after having bored everyone with economics, I'm now going to bore everyone with uh, public policy. Um, I don't know specifically what it is for St. Louis or for Missouri, but every municipality, every state has like has legally enforced parking minimums depending on what space you're building that you are then legally obligated to build that much parking. So downtown, it's going to be difficult to find that space and then it's going to be very expensive to purchase that space to build parking garages. Plus, parking garages aren't that easy to construct. They have to be very strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also need to be fitted with, you know, fire suppression. As that horror night, I think it was on New Year's Eve in Liverpool, when a parking garage uh, caught on fire and burned up just a nasty fire, burned up all the cars, thousands of cars. That was sort of a nightmare. And that's not even to get into the fact that a parking garage makes your city worse. <laughs> it means that that build that space can't be used for anything except for putting cars. <laughs> yes, that's true. 
Well, one nice thing is with it being close enough to Union Station, you do have access to all the parking around Union Station, I would suppose, yeah. and there's plenty that of that. That is true. Yeah, that, that helps mitigate like the parking situation, but that doesn't change the legally mandated parking minimums. There is that. And the other thing is, the the, the point that uh, some of the fans that uh, make a smaller stadium and milk your fans might have hit a touchy point with certain fans out there that got the pricing for some of the uh, reserve seating and their season tickets. Uh, there was a big to-do on Twitter and elsewhere, Facebook, uh, about this. Uh, they did put out in each section a range of prices that went from pretty much on par, maybe a little less than other teams around up to the highest what we don't know is what's the distribution of those pricing seats it could be that the high end of that range is special select seating maybe the end maybe the front row things like that uh other considerations that those seats will cost more uh given specifics that we don't know uh maybe someone who has gone through the process could enlighten us because We've already got ours in the supporters section, so uh, select seating's not really an issue for us. Yeah. Uh, seating yeah, is but... not much of an issue for us. <laughs> yeah, considering uh, we're in safe standing. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, like this is another thing you really want to avoid, right? Is 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 pricing everyone out to the point where the only people who can go are from the county. Yeah. City and downtown St. Louis and then price it so only people that live in out in the county can come in. That's unfortunately kind of a St. Louis kind of move, isn't it? Yeah, I and, mean, because like like Cardinals tickets are pretty cheap depending on where you go, but <laughs> they're not that cheap. And um, I do remember when the Cardinals introduced a thing where you could buy like almost like a like a subscription and and get into like a like a standing section out in left field. Um, I don't know if they still do that, but I, I remember when they introduced that and I was like, man, if I live close to the stadium, that would rock. Like, I just yeah. like I'm free, like for the day. So I'm just going to walk down and just walk into the stadium. That sounds awesome. But it's also like a concourse with like a standing room only. <laughs> so but um, before we go further down this rabbit hole of economics, uh, politics <laughs> and other sports, uh, we got other things to talk about. Other exciting things to talk about. Uh, when you guys listen to this, we're recording as always on Tuesday afternoon. But when this drops on Wednesday, let's say tonight is the biggest match, perhaps, in the history of professional soccer in the United States. The Seattle Sounders at Lumen Field will be hosting Pumas, U-N-A-M, I believe is what they're called, at a chance to actually win the CONCACAF Champions League. Not only they have it at home, which hasn't happened before, this Seattle team is especially built to win this competition. They've got quality and depth. They've got a front line of starters that are well-versed in how to win these games. Uh, unlike in the past, there's a lot of these players that have already played in the Copa Libertadores, uh, you know, Copa America, and have won the competition. Uh, they have the experience, they have the talent to win. Setting up the stage, I mentioned last week that the away goals would matter for Seattle. Turns out they don't. After mattering the whole tournament in the knockout stages, uh, they don't matter here. I don't know who made that decision. Was it you, Sean? Uh, no, that wasn't that me. I love the away goals. I love away goals. It makes it very exciting. Seattle be coming home with two away goals in the pocket. That would make their job a lot easier. But, uh, yeah, they had to settle for a 2-2 draw at the Estadio Olimpicos uh, for Pumas with two late penalties in the match, both of them uh, controversial. Pumas had a penalty that was controversial as well. Uh, a lot of VAR throwing penalties called on the field for in favor of Seattle. VAR saying, oh, you sure you don't want to look at that? Uh, looked at him, gave them both, and uh, Ladero put them away. So we end up at 2-2. Seattle going against a Pumas team that uh, did happen to win this past week in the final week of their Clausura, I believe, uh, to make it to the playoffs. Otherwise, they were going to miss the playoffs. A lot, I heard a 
Liga Emeki's commentator for uh, Teo Dene, who was saying that uh, a lot of people in Mexico can't believe that Pumas is in this position. They're just not that good a team. A lot of the big boys didn't make it into CCL this time. Uh, and then Cruz Azul, just not that strong. They lost to Pumas. Uh, a lot of, right going in Seattle's way and MLS's way. I mean, when we were talking about CCL all the way through the tournament, we were like, I can't believe that Club America got knocked off. I can't believe that Pumas knocked off Club, uh, Cruz Azul. It, this is not the Liga Mekis team you expected to be here. Monterrey didn't make it. Uh, there's a lot of them. Guadalajara, Chivas, you know, they just weren't even in the tournament this year. And there's a lot of pressure on Pumas. It's been 16 years since um, Liga Emeki's team did not win the uh, regional championship for club teams. That was the last team that wasn't Liga Emeki's to win was Saprissa out of Costa Rica. And who did they defeat in the finals? Pumas. <laughs> uh, they got a real chance of being the first team to lose CONCACAF Champions League to an MLS team. No franchise wants that. Uh, Seattle's looking at going to have 67 plus thousand people in the stands with that environment. And Garth Lagerway, the fantastic GM, sporting director for uh, Seattle, was on Extra Time Radio and mentioned that uh, Seattle and Pumas now actually have a similar roster spend which is a new thing as well. Of course, that has a lot to do with Pumas being here as well instead of some of the bigger clubs. The big thing is Pumas has more flexibility on how, where, and where they're going to spend that money. It's always top-heavy in MLS. So if there is like some late, let's say, midfield uh, substitutions uh, that turn the tide against Seattle, that could be damning to, uh, you know, the status of MLS roster rules. On the flip side of that, if there's one place that Seattle's well suited to make their own quality changes is in midfield. So everything's pointing in Mexico, Seattle's favored. Everybody's looking at it. Really, everything's in their place that this would be a huge disappointment for them not to win the title this year. And after watching many years of CCL, Put your money on disappointment. Yeah. Really hoping and we don't get free spaced, but we very well might, very well might get free spaced. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this game is do or die um, with the no away goal tiebreaker. The only other tiebreaker is aggregate and it's tied to two. This game is do or die. Yeah. And uh, what were you telling me that uh, there's also no extra time? Mm -hmm. Yeah. If it's a draw at the end of regulation straight two penalty kicks. Oh, that's weird. It is weird, yeah. Uh, a lot of places in the world, with all the rule changes after because uh, of uh, COVID, uh, they're probably looking at this for cup ties in the middle of the week with teams just overloaded. I mean, you look at England and some of the teams like Chelsea and Liverpool and Manchester City are going to play close to 70 matches during the season between everything they have to play for. I think it's a way of trying to cut down on all those extra minutes on the player's legs. And to be quite honest, that last 15 minutes of extra time is usually just a drag because the players are just absolutely worn out. And you could see that those extra, extra time minutes really start to get to players. But uh, it's not traditional and no way goals. And then this... Is it the new world of uh, soccer or football that we're looking at? Could be. Yeah, but I don't know. It's it's weird, but like, I don't know. I know that you can have some real extra time stunners, but since I've been watching, I haven't seen any. Extra time has been a kind of formality you go through to get to PKs. Sometimes it is. For the most part, the players are tired and they're trying not to lose. One team will choose to go to penalties instead, especially if they don't score very early and expend a lot of energy to try to get that first goal. And then after that, they bunker down. You know, it's just tradition is what it comes down to. It, it feels kind of like the reconfigured NHL overtime rules where 
a lot of the time now both teams are just playing for a shootout and it makes overtime boring may shootout maybe we should go back to the old mls way of doing it with the, the penalty, goal. <laughs> with the uh shootout where you get to start at like the halfway line and get a run up <laughs> and do the shootout Let's not go backwards <laughs> another 20 years, please. There's enough of that going yeah, on. I don't is, want it in my sports, too. That. 20 years. Some of society's going back 50. But neither here nor there. That's the big thing in MLS. The big news has to be CCL. You know that every player, every team is watching Seattle and rooting for them. If not publicly, LAFC, NYFC, Casey. Yeah, Portland. They're not going to publicly come out and root them on, but they're watching. And uh, let's also give a tip of the cap to the League's Cup that Seattle used their last year to beat a Liga Emeki's team. It When these teams get a chance to play Liga Emeki's teams in like the League's Cup and get a chance to measure how well they can actually compete with them, that gives them confidence to go out and beat them in a more formal competition. So that has to play. And then, of course, in 2023, everybody's going to be involved in the League's Cup. Everyone will get to play against uh, Liga MX competition. On the other hand, Liga MX will also get more exposure in the U.S. and maybe make more money so that they can use more money to spend on better rosters to, to put it all down. And also, I don't know how you guys think, but Seattle winning one CCL, big deal. It's a big deal because it breaks down a barrier, but it doesn't change the dynamic between the two leagues. It'll have to get to where MLS is winning every other one for a extended stretch of time. They've gotten it down to where they're in the semifinals almost every year, where this is the third time they've been in the finals in a five-year stretch. Uh, Pumas being in this position is sort of like the Philadelphia Union last year. No, no shade on the Union, good team. But if they had made it to the final, that wouldn't have been the best representative in recent history of a team from MLS making it to a final. So that's where Pumas lands. So everything's tipped in Seattle's favor, and that makes me very nervous. I think I think the progress is going to end up coming in leaps and bounds once we realize that this Garber Bucks monopoly money is not working. And uh, we've talked about that at length. Not going to dive into it again, just bringing up the fact that once we rethink of how we've capped our salaries and how we do our allocation money, I think we might see a jump and start seeing strings of MLS teams in the finals year after year. Maybe not winning it, but I think we'll see that next leap somewhat soon if we can figure out all the buckets and make it fewer buckets. Yeah, having lived through the earlier NASL, unlimited spending for some of these owners scares the hell out of me. Uh, but really, they need to revisit these roster rules, their allocations, their buckets. They need to strip it down and rebuild it into a more flexible and more manageable system. Yeah, I certainly don't want to see like an MLB luxury tax where, tax where a really wealthy owner can just look at it and be like, well, who care and build an absolute Death Star that rolls for 10 plus years. But this current system doesn't work either. Yeah, the foundations were shaky and they just keep piling up on top of it. And you can't keep doing that. Either you can let it collapse or you can start to make, you know, retrofit your foundations in your uh, your edifice. And I think we're reached, I think a lot of people agree we reached a point to where MLS needs to retrofit its edifice. Yeah. We need foundational changes. We don't just need more stuff stacked on top. But one thing we do know for sure is it's not going to happen this year. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, there's been a lot of action in MLS, except for the aforementioned Seattle Sounders, who got a buy from MLS to play in this match. Good on MLS on that. But to give us a roundup, I'm going to go ahead and throw it over to Sean Campbell. We're going to start off with Nashville and Philadelphia Union opening up the first game at Geodas Stadium. And the Union looked to be playing spoilers. They got an early goal. But Nashville came back and was given a PK for a handball. Buried that one and leveled the game pretty late in the, in the, in the game. Um... There should have been another one, so Nashville really should have ended up winning this game 2-1. But not a bad show to pick up 
a a point in your first game in the biggest soccer specific stadium in the U.S. tied for biggest in the MLS. It's fitting fitting that they had a draw for Nashville after they had what eighteen last year. Yeah. <laughs> also, uh, Mikhail Ure, the uh, new DP signing striker for Philadelphia, did get his first MLS goal for that Philadelphia Union goal. Uh, he brings something more than Shabilko did. Uh, I look for him to add more and more as this goes along. Oh, I would definitely agree with you. Next up, we're going to go a little bit south. and uh, Or was it in New England? I don't know. But we're going over to Miami against the Revolution. <laughs> we're going <and> east. <laughs> we're definitely going east. That's for sure. <laughs> but uh, the Revolution came out and scored very early. And when I say very early, I mean they scored in the first minute and they did not look back. This was a big game for the Revolution, not just because they got the three points, but Matt Turner is finally back in net. Plenty of the players were quoted as saying that having him back there gives them way more confidence, and it definitely showed. Uh, Miami was trying to mount some sort of a comeback, but with Campagna going down with an injury, they had two guys go down with second yellows. They really did not do anything but shoot themselves in the foot on that one. Um, Revolution take the win here 2 nothing. And uh, Campania, hope that's not a long-term injury. He's really been quite good uh, and makes Miami better, which is, you know, better play. If you're going to have a forced parody sort of league, you want more parody, I guess. So I hope he's not out for long. He's an exciting player. Oh, very much so. You don't want to see anyone go out for too long, obviously, but someone as yeah. uh, dynamic as him, you really want to see him come back quickly. Yeah, never want to see anybody hurt. But also, very, very bold take from you, Mike, that uh, in a forced parody league, more parody is better. <laughs> well, it keeps everything on the up and up. If you're going to have forced parody, having all the teams similar, you've timed out, it, it tends to shake out who's better than everybody else, rather than having bottom feeders that skew all the numbers if in one conference or the other, etc. Yeah, kind of a bold take. Sort of also a meh take. It's yeah, that was that was the joke. <laughs> I, I wouldn't say that that take is on fire. But uh, speaking of the fire, we have a game against Chicago Fire and the New York Red Neither Bulls. Neither are the fire. <laughs> <laughs> they had a couple of calls go to VAR in this game. Um, I think, of, uh, you know, in the end, they made the right choice on just about all of them. Uh, it seems like VAR has been used fairly well on 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 the whole this year but uh, especially in this game uh Chicago ends up taking the lead early with a PK and Shakiri gets on the on the goal sheet with that one uh but Red Bulls come back storm back get two goals in the last 15 minutes and join the 98 Galaxy as the only teams to win their first five road games in a season no one has won six let's see if the Red Bulls can take that record and 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 build upon that and put together another really good season they kind of need to because they're not winning at home. Yeah. So they need to keep winning on the road. But if Patrick Klimala keeps playing the way he is, they're going to win at home and on the road. Our Red Bull New York uh, seem to be a tough team this year. They seem to be a tough team most years, but, you know, sometimes they don't make it. Sometimes they do see how it shakes out. Yeah. At least this year, it seems like they're a, they're a tough team as long as you're not playing them in Red Bull Arena. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's almost as if they can't play in their own home stadium. That seems to be a trend for New York City teams. Yeah, <laughs> but it's like some real road warriors with Red Bulls. <laughs> they can't wait to get out of Joyzy. Hey, <laughs> oh, I'm playing, can wait to playing get out of soccer in Jersey. Hey. <laughs> Moving right along to another team that needs to uh, put together some more wins. We have Atlanta, who is constantly in pain taking the L in Montreal 2-1, but that's partially due to the fact that Georgie Mihailovic is having himself an absolute year this year, and I would love to see him get a call-up to the national team soon, but with it being World Cup cycle, I'm not sure that's going to be very possible this year. But maybe next year if he can keep in form. I'd love to see it. Yeah, it's tough to break into your national team uh, with limited friendlies and build-up that they get this year, it's going to be tough to bring anybody else in that hasn't been playing. Whether they deserve it or a better player or not, they just haven't been with the team like the ones that have been. Uh, but he's earned it. 
That's for sure. Moving along, we have a bit of a trend this week in MLS in 2-1 finals. We have Cincy playing Toronto and getting the 2-1 win there. Now we see that they can actually have a lead and hold it and close out a game. Now let's see if they can do it more often and actually stave off that wooden spoon performance of the last several years. And Bob Bradley's having a little trouble trying to whip what he's got to work with in Toronto into shape. Kind of worried about Toronto. Are they dropping back to the way they were before they had their three, four year period with uh, the atomic ant in uh, Giacchini in their glory years? Because they were awful for the first 10. Yeah, but I I think once we see Insigne come over in the summer, I think that's going to change their fortune quite drastically. Could. Yeah, I certainly don't want to see him regress that bad, but they're. Like, I don't want to say that they're in, like, rebuilding mode, but they're in kind of, like, rebuilding form, if you know what I mean. Yeah, uh, they're kind of half-assing that, I think. Yeah. Maybe Bradley can get them going, rebuild completely in his image, but they seem to be half-assing the rebuild. So how how did the crew do without Giasse's artists? The crew without Jossie's artists seem to have uh, taken a bit of a bump and... Come back to form, absolutely stomping on DC United 3-0. Zellerion still hasn't come back to full form yet, but it looks like the crew are up to task with him, you know, trying to rehab back. DC, they seem to be in proper DC form, losing a bunch of games, beating one big team, and then going back to losing a bunch of games. But the more important takeaway here is that even without Zardis, the crew have finally seemed to put it together and they put on an absolute clinic in front of goal this week. Yeah, that's, you know, Caleb Porter, the coach of the crew, kind of blasted Zardis saying he just wasn't up to it anymore. Uh, Maybe not, though he could add something to the Rapids because they've been desperate for anything up front. See how this all works out by the end of the year. Yeah, well, speaking of the Rapids, we may as well jump into that game. They ended up winning without the help of Zardis because Diego Rubio puts them on the board first. They end up getting the 2-0 win despite the fact that he takes an absolutely ridiculously not smart second yellow, putting them down a man. But Mark Anthony Kay comes up with a huge goal at the death to bury this game and put down the Timbers 2-0. Timbers aren't so good early on. But then again, they never are very good early on. See how they finish. They seem to finish strong. Yeah. The Timbers always seem to hover around, like, middle of the playoff hunt pack. Until the last end of the season. Yeah. Keeping it up out in the West Co- in the West Conference, we're going to go ahead and talk about the Copa Tejas battle between Houston Dynamo and Los Verdes in Austin. Austin come out on top. 2-1 there. Surprise, surprise, continuing the trend. But we have some absolute glossos in this game. Sebastian Ferreira puts one in literally from midfield because he caught he caught the keeper off his line and just lofts it all the way into the net. And it was beautiful to watch. I know it was I know what he's Abs- feeling. I definitely scored one of those piece. in grade school. I scored one of those in yeah, grade it a, school. It's a great feeling. <laughs> it was a howitzer. Like, this thing, like, yeah, it, it was just, like, caught the keeper completely offline and just, yeah, like, it it had a, it had a home run arc. <laughs> Not to be outdone, though, Austin put in a galazzo of their own with Driussi keeping up his absolute wonder form this year and just absolutely blasting into the net from the corner of the box well-placed, well-struck, no chance for the keeper. And, I mean, keeping up with the run of form, Suver had to be subbed out for, for Austin, but Andrew Tarbell came in and made some very good saves to keep it 2-1 Austin. Yeah, on this, uh, Austin doing quite well, highest-scoring team in MLS. Uh, Matt Doyle, I was thinking this as well, uh, Matt Doyle pointed out that uh, they could be in for a little tough stretch, Austin as uh, they've been had a kind of a cupcake schedule. Now, granted, they've done what they need to do. They've been beaten up on these lesser teams. But they've got 8-10 upcoming against good teams, a lot of those road games. So we'll see how they hold up. Their expected goals so far have been 1.28 goals per game higher 
what they're scoring over what's expected. And Teresi's XG, of course, it's early, kind of a small sample size, but we're getting up to a bigger one. Uh, he's 100% above his XG. Uh, but if you want to go from being an expansion team in your second year to making the playoffs, beating up on the little guys, and they have done that. That's the way to get into the playoffs. That's the way you build. Catch some results off of the bigger guys. They seem to be capable of doing it. Uh, they were terrible in defense against transition because they were slow. A lot of the same players are there, but they've made adjustments. I think Josh Wolf's doing a great job down in Austin. Yeah, they're like the thing is, is that like even if their offense cools off a little bit, they're playing good soccer. Oh yeah, and they were playing good soccer last year too, but they just couldn't seem to put it all together at the right time. Yeah, then they'd play bad soccer. Yeah. <laughs> Like they they've got really good fundamentals this year. It's just that their offense is also really hot. So moving on, what we got next, Sean? Well, speaking of beating up on the on the lower teams, we had NYCFC taking on Team Chaos, the Quakes in Yankee Stadium, and in in the looming shadow of the giant banner, they win three <laughs> nil. All three of the goals came in the last fifteen minutes of the game, and two of them came from substitutes. Which, if you can do that after effectively toying with the team for a good seventy five minutes, I I don't know what else to tell you other than you're gonna go places. You could just turn it on whenever you want. <laughs> I do like that we are never going to shut up about this incredibly stupid banner that NYCFC has. <laughs> but, because it's ridiculous. <laughs> it is ridiculous. <laughs> but also just man, I'm looking I'm looking at this and I'm like on paper this sounds like the most <laughs> like the most boring game I can think of. <laughs> just like a, a nil-nil toying with until the last 15 minutes and then they just drop they just drop three on him and leave. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of like City 2's game. <laughs> it's like it's like when you're what trying to play it's when you're trying to play FIFA with your with your little brother to teach him how to play and then at the end of the game because you can't you can't handle having a draw against someone who has no idea what they're doing, you just blast 3 in real quick just to say, "All right, I won." Yeah. <laughs> that's the way you do it. Out here throwing around goals next? like they're manhole covers or something. <laughs> you ever thrown a manhole cover? Those things weigh yeah. like 200 pounds. <laughs> you could do it. I mean, I'm Scottish. But other people, so, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I got the Highland yeah, Games the... blood in me. <laughs> oh. What we got next, Sean? Keeping it with shutouts and late game goals. Uh, LAFC keeps it rolling just like they always do. They win 2-0 against uh, Minnesota United. Both of their goals came in the last 10 minutes of play this time. But that's LAFC for you. Again, It's they, they could basically just turn it on whenever they need to. Yeah, they just put the pressure on, put the pressure on, and just wore down Minnesota and got the win. Clinical. I, I was watching this game because I've been an LAFC fan for a while, so don't call don't call me a bandwagoner. <laughs> but, um, bandwagoner. <laughs> oh, I'm going to call you a bandwagoner. <laughs> but I was watching this game, and then I turned it off, and then, like, three minutes later, I get the goal notification. I'm like, of, of course, of course. <laughs> don't turn off LAFC late. They're the best second-half team in the league. Uh, I don't remember what other game came on that I wanted to watch instead. But, yeah, I, clearly I should not have turned it off. <laughs> Where are we going next, Sean? We're going to keep it with another LA team and talk about how the Galaxy got a bit robbed against RSL. Late game, they're down one nothing to RSL, and then the Galaxy appear to have drawn level in second half stoppage time, but they were they were called off offsides, and they, that was the right call because even though he didn't actually make a play for the ball, he did in fact interrupt the run of play and influence the play. He was offside, no goal. RSL gets the win. And RSL have been absolutely dynamite at home, winning 7 of 10 since Masterani took over for them. And you have to expect that they can keep, they're going to keep this going because that goes back to last year. Yeah, that, you know, that offside call before VAR, if you watch for years, you're like, how can that be? You know, technically it's in the laws, but everybody's been doing it forever with what happened there. Uh, 
it's tough to take. Hard to lose a game at the end on that. But technically, I guess the right call. Well, and I mean, this happened earlier with uh, El Trafico a couple of weeks ago where it was technically the right call, but oh, buddy, was it tough, and it, it negated them drawing nil. I don't remember who it was the Galaxy or LAFC that it happened to, but it was one of them. Yeah, it happens. Uh, man, RSL bringing back Rio Tinto Stadium fear, aren't they? They've been filling up that stadium, and uh, they've now won 7 of 10 at home since uh, Pablo Mastroianni took over. That's good to see for RSL. You love to see a team absolutely abusing the fact of their home field advantage. Yeah, the only time it remember back when they were really good, uh, they had a massive home field advantage, and they lost the home leg of the CCL final. <laughs> so, but that was a while back, just a while back, back when they still had Kyle Passett Backerman. Yeah, and uh, Robles. Was it Robles? Who was their goal goalkeeper? Played forever. I think it was Robles, but we're not here to we're not here to do guy remembrance today. <laughs> As Mason, no, would unless call we're it. going to remember remember the season that could have been for Gotti Kinda. Oh no, I was I was I was dreading that one. But yes, news came out that uh, Gotti Kinda is now out for the season because they had to go in and do more surgery further putting a damper on any chance of a comeback for Sporting KC. But they did manage to make a comeback and draw level with FC Dallas this last week with some late-game heroics from Daniel Shallowy and Cam Duke. I don't know if you've heard me mention his name before, but Cam Duke makes a beautiful pass. Shallowy with some fancy footwork, finally getting into his form from last year. Um, Dallas put on a good show with Ariola and Ferreira playing well together, and I can't wait to see more of that at the national team level. Um, but yeah, ends up drawing 2-2 in KC, and I believe next week we have to go to Dallas, and we get to do it all over again. <laughs> oh, the home-and-home home series. Yeah. Uh, yes. I, I will say you've reached the tipping point in injuries at SKC that you've officially got an excuse. Yeah, and I was going to say, I see in your notes here, Sean, that you wrote down, could we see a turnaround? And I got to say, unfortunately, no, I don't think we can. <laughs> Maybe who, knows? who knows? Who knows? If Cam not... Duke can come in and, and make and make a performance, and and Felipe Hernandez can actually put an influence on the field, I think we might be able to see it. Uh, this team's in this game. We saw a little bit of the personality that the team had last year when they were going on runs, and uh, especially with Felipe, he ran. You know, after Shallowy scored the goal, he comes picks up the ball from behind the net and gives the keeper a bit of a tap on the back of the head, like, hey, you tried, and then the keeper rolls around as if he's been shot in the back of the neck, like, you know, some <laughs> former president or something. But <laughs> back and to the left. Back and to the left. Shot like a former president. <laughs> I'll let you guys okay. take your pick on which one you think it was. <laughs> James Garfield. No, Garfield got shot in the gut and had an absolutely horrible treatment for like the last. Oh, like, yeah. And then he lingered on forever. Yeah. And his surgeon was just like pulling his guts out and airing them because he still believed in there like and miasma theory. Yeah. OK, enough about magic bullets. Any other MLS <laughs> matches we perhaps have skipped over? Uh, The only other match we have to talk about is um, Orlando getting the 2-1 win over Charlotte. Uh, Ruan comes back. He he's finally getting it going. He scores the goal, and then he puts on the flash mask on the side of the field because he's the fastest man on the pitch and does the Usain Bolt pose and everything. Um, it was a it was a good goal, and then he comes back and has an absolute beauty of a run in transition. Gets one on one with the goalie, and then unselfishly decides, "Oh wait, there's my teammate," and passes it across the box ball just a nice little tap in no chance for them to stop it and then he goes and celebrates with the crowd with the cowboy hat on i'm loving it i'm loving some of the personality that these these players are putting on for this for this league it's great to see still haven't got the valderrama hair we need that oh yeah there's there's nothing quite like <laughs> the valderrama hair <laughs> so how are we looking at overall in the east so far this season 
Well, overall in the East, uh, the, the only way I can describe it is the race in the East from top to bottom is about as tight as that first lug nut you have to undo when you're trying to change a flat tire on the, on the side of the highway in a hurry and it just doesn't want to move. Um, and it's in be- the rain and the car coming by splashes you with a bunch of ice cold water across your Oh, back. yeah. Oh, that never happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, someone's not bitter. <laughs> but yes, this race is absolutely tight. It is locked up. Just three points separating the bottom half of the field from 6th to 14th. Total of five points from 4th down to 14th. Um, and about a third of the way in, literally on any day of the week, any team can win any game and jump to any spot in the standings. This is what you get when you have a forced parity league. It's no one Are is you out saying of it. There's a, a big mess of mediocre teams in the East. <laughs> I think there's a big mess of teams that have made steps in the right direction and other teams that maybe are taking a little longer to get into form than they normally do. So in other words, a big mess of mediocrity. How we I wouldn't call West? it mediocrity. <laughs> In the West, we have some mediocrity going. Because um, when you look at it, it's literally almost as if, except for baby San Jose, if you took last year's table and flipped it upside down. Because RSL and Minnesota are the only two teams that made the playoffs last year out of the West that are still in a playoff spot at the moment. Every other team that made the playoffs last year is sitting towards the bottom, especially your front runners like Seattle and SKC are single-digit points. And they're trying to not get wooden spoon. Okay, so let's think about this a little bit more seriously, because you're right. But SKC has been absolutely hammered by injuries. Seattle is clearly focusing on CCL. Portland is what Portland does. So, like, yeah, this is a complete inversion, but it's also not exactly surprising. Well, also, you LA teams have bounced back, especially LAFC. Galaxy mm-hmm. always hinge around and they've started off hot before and fallen back let's see what happens there yeah lafc is making a very clear and obvious push they have been since the off season they want this it's the texas teams they are, are flipping the, big the script yeah they but are dallas went out and got wrench. yeah they got for dallas went out and got guys they actually spent money and got guys uh dynamo are playing much better without tab ramos as their head coach sorry tab uh, that's really the flip. Then you got Seattle not paying attention, Portland out of it. It's Sporting KC just having one of those seasons. And that kind of does it. Yeah. And then unsurprisingly, the Quakes at the bottom. Yeah. Team guys. They got rid of the coach. Maybe they can fix that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we got mid-season transfers coming. Silly season in Europe and South America. That could change things. Love myself a hot stove. Got Insigne coming to Toronto. Uh, I don't know if he's how... We'll just have to see what kind of magic pill he is. Now, Nicholas Lodero was... Seattle was not good that year until they got rid of Siggy Schmidt and brought in Lodero, and then they were great. Uh, So it can happen. Uh, Rumors are out there that Sergio Busquets might be looking at coming in his mid-30s to MLS. Everybody's saying, oh, he'll just kill it in MLS. Well, 35-year-olds coming from Europe have found that the travel, the heat, the cold, the flying coach, uh, the The physicality. The style of play. The style of play. So physical. uh, Doesn't really suit them too well. Can't exactly come into the league like you're smoking a cigar. Yeah. As Higuain Famously said about himself, warning off Luis Suarez, if you're coming here uh, for that, forget about it. Uh, Steven Gerrard can tell everybody about that. Andre Perlo. A whole lot of these guys coming over with their big names in their mid-30s, still take it as a retirement league, are just failing miserably all over the place. Famously, Wayne Rooney did not. And kudos to, to him. Anything else this week, guys? Well, it has been a good week to be a fan of sports in St. Louis, I think. Just in general. City 2 went and got a win. The Academy's performed well. The Cardinals put up a little bit of a middling performance, but they look good. 
Love to see the Blues in the playoffs. Exciting things happening in the city of St. Louis. <laughs> Good to see. And can't wait for City SC to join into the mixer. So I guess uh, that wrap it up for this week. I uh, think we've covered enough. And I'm your host, Mike Turner. I'm your producer, Mason. And I'm your resident cave-dwelling hooligan, Sean. And we are the Soccer Capital Podcast. Thanks again for listening. Bye for now.